Good evening, my friends. We want to welcome you to Awaken's Good Friday Tenebrae Liturgy, where we will walk with the gospel writers through the seven last words of Jesus the Christ. The word tenebrae comes from the Latin word meaning darkness. And this is an ancient Christian liturgy that makes use of gradually diminishing light through the extinguishing of candles to symbolize the events of Jesus' crucifixion and ultimately his death. The increasing darkness is a symbol of the approaching darkness of Jesus' death and the hopelessness of a world without God. So tonight, we invite you to begin, if you haven't already, by preparing the elements for communion and by lighting seven candles and turning off all the lights in the space that you are in, if you are able. Tonight, what's going to happen is you will hear the passage being read from one of the Gospels, and then a short meditation on the words that Jesus has spoken. And after that, you'll hear those words put to music by Melody. Now, there's going to be plenty of space for these words that Jesus has spoken and these meditations to sink in, for you to feel the weight and the gravity of what has happened. And actually, I might invite you to maybe close your eyes, engage your imagination, try to be there and see what you're hearing, try to experience it in your body. Eventually, you'll be led by Jenna to participate in the Lord's Supper by receiving and or by serving one another. And then the very last thing you'll hear before we leave you with some space for reflection and for silence is John's account of the burial of Jesus. And so tonight, we want to invite you to feel the darkness of this night, what it must have been like to be there, to see what they saw, to hear what they heard, to feel what they felt, and not to move too quickly to resurrection. I think we do that too often. We want you to fully enter the story, to go all the way down to the bottom before you come back up. And so to begin, I want to invite you to listen to this song written by Melody, inspired by the prophet Isaiah's 53rd chapter. So 
And so the Passover meal has been eaten. Jesus has prayed in the garden with his closest friends, asking Yahweh, please take this cup from me. The time has come and the authorities have come and Judas has betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Jesus has been tried. He's been found guilty. He's carried his cross and now his crucifixion begins. And these are the seven last words of Jesus the Messiah. Before the darkness, before the death of God. The first word from Luke chapter 23, verses 33 and 34. When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed Jesus to the cross there, and the two criminals, one on his right, and one on his left. Jesus said, forgive them, Father. They do not know what they are doing. They do not know what they are doing. They who killed Jesus, who is they? It is so easy to name others, to blame others. The Romans, the crowd, Pilate, Herod, Caiaphas. They all played their part and conspired against Jesus or simply followed orders to maintain the peace, to keep Jesus' kingdom from infringing on theirs. And yet, where are we when Jesus' kingdom infringes on ours, on our peace and our order, on our prosperity and our security? Where are we when the victims of our peace cry for justice, when those disenfranchised by our order call for compassion, when the hungry and the lonely beg us to share our prosperity, our security, and our power. Where are we when Christ is crucified among us? through 43. One of the criminals hanging there threw insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. The other one, however, rebuked him saying, don't you fear God? Here we are all under the same sentence. Ours, however, is only right for we are getting what we deserve for what we did. But he has done no wrong. And he said to Jesus, Remember me, Jesus, when you come as king. Jesus said to him, 
I tell you this, today you will be in paradise with me. How much are we like the first thief, full of anger because we are not rescued from our sin, full of hate because the sins of others cause us to suffer? How much do we long for God to snap his fingers and make right what we have made wrong, what we have allowed others to make wrong? How easy it is to cry, save us, and then to rail against God when there is no magic cure, no miraculous recovery, no legions of angels to take away pain and bring wholeness. How easy it is to scorn the Messiah, to mock the goodness of the world and condemn the light of the world because we are unwilling to face what we have done. Yet there is goodness. There is a cure for sin, a cure that does not promise magical solutions, but promises that the pain of sin is not the end, that when all this is over, when the suffering is finished, that the final word is not torture and defeat, but life, life springing out of the ashes, life transformed and fulfilled in paradise. To the compassionate thief, to the one who could still recognize the good in the world, to the one who tried to comfort and protect that good, to the one who sought good, comfort was given. Today, you will be with me in paradise. You may now extinguish the second candle. The third word, John 19, 25 to 27. Standing close to Jesus' cross were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there. So he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that time the disciple took her to live in his home. Who can grasp the grief? The grief of Mary watching her son suffer. The grief of Mary watching him die. And who can grasp the grief of the son? the son who must see his mother mourn. What gift 
can a man give his mother? What can he offer when he is gone? How can he help her, hold her, comfort her, honor her? Woman, here is your son. Here is the one I love to love you and for you to love. One who knows me, one who is my brother and who can speak of me. One who can hold you, comfort you, and honor you. One who shares your grief. Here is your mother. Here's the one I love for you to love and to love you. The one who taught me, the one who fed me, the one who wiped away my tears, the one who hugged me, the one who grieves with you. Women, behold your children. Children, Mark 15. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Of all the agony of that torturous day, the beating, the scourging, humiliation, and torture, nothing reaches the depth of this anguished cry of desolation. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus, who found his purpose and strength in the presence of God, who was sustained by the immediacy of his relationship with God, and who endured all by the tangible power of God always at work within him, always a center of vitality and peace, found himself totally alone on the cross. Jesus, whose very being was God, found himself utterly, absolutely, despairingly, cut off from all that gives life and breath, cut off from all that gives purpose and hope, cut off from the source of his being, cut off even from himself. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In these words is the central mystery of the crucifixion, which cannot be fully comprehended, that there is no despair so deep or evil so overwhelming or place so far removed from joy, 
light and love from the very heart of God, that God has not been before us and where God cannot meet us and offer us a way back home. extinguish the fourth candle. The fifth word from John chapter 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. There is a kind of timelessness about hanging on a cross. It is not a quiet death, over in an instant in one glorious moment of martyrdom. A cross is as much an instrument of torture as it is a gallows from which to hang. And as the day wears on, seconds stretch into minutes, which stretch into hours, until there comes a point when time can no longer be measured, except in the gradual weakening of the body and its ever more insistent demands for that substance which is so vital to life, so foundational to all living things, so basic to existence as we know it. Water. Water to quench a parched mouth. Water to free a swollen tongue. Water to open a rasping throat that cannot gasp enough air. Water to keep hope alive to keep life alive just a few moments longer. Water to a crucified man is life. O God, thou art my God, I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee, my flesh faints for thee as in a dry and weary land where no water is. Who can tell if these words from Psalm 63 went through Jesus's mind, but a thirst for water is a thirst for life, and a thirst for life is a thirst for God, who promises streams in the desert, mighty rivers in the dry land, 
and living water to wash away every tear. Here, at the end of it, all those promises seem far away, and yet Jesus, forsaken by God, still clings to the memory and the hope of life. I thirst. We're now going to enter into a time of communion. So receive these words. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and blessed it and said, this is my blood shed for you. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. This is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often, and you who have not been for a long time or ever before, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, not because the church invites you, but because Christ invites you to be known and to be fed here. As you take the bread, receive these words, the body of Christ broken for you. As you take the cup, Receive these words, the blood of Christ shed for you.
Now extinguish the fifth candle. The sixth word, John 19, 29 and 30. A bowl was there full of cheap wine mixed with vinegar, and so a sponge was soaked in it, put on a stalk of hyssop and lifted to his lips. And when Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. What a sigh of relief. What a cry of deliverance that finally, after seemingly endless pain and gasping torment, it is over at last. The suffering has ended. The ordeal is finished and nothing remains but the blessed peace absence of all sensation. When all there is is pain, its ceasing is the greatest blessing of all, even when its ceasing comes only with death. But Jesus' cry is more than just welcoming the end of pain. It is more than joy at the deliverance death brings. He does not merely say, it is over. He says, it is accomplished, fulfilled, achieved. Jesus' cry isn't a cry of defeat and despair. It is a cry of success and triumph, even at the moment of death, that the race has been run, that he has endured to the end, that the strife is over and the battle is won. Jesus' cry is a cry of relief to be sure, but it is also a cry of victory. The work I came to do is complete. There is nothing more to add. It is finished.
the seventh word from Luke chapter 23, verse 46. Then Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. It is the end, the very end, the end of the ordeal, the end of the suffering, and Jesus, alone on the cross, tortured, exhausted, abandoned by his friends, forsaken by God, gasps for a last breath, and gathers the strength for one final cry. Why would he choose to speak so close to the end? Why would he muster the last energy he had to cry out with a loud voice? Couldn't God have heard his thoughts? Unless God wasn't the only one intended to hear. Unless his voice was pitched loud so that we too might hear this final dedication of his soul. A dedication made despite the pain, despite the mocking, despite the agony, despite the sense of horrible aloneness he felt. A dedication made to God before the resurrection, before the victory of the kingdom, before any assurance other than that which faith could bring. Jesus entrusts his spirit, his life, and all that has given it meaning to God in faith. Even at the point of his own abandonment, when the good seems so very far away, he proclaims his faith in God. The darkness cannot overcome it. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. John chapter 19, 31 to 42. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath, because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. 
These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there.